0: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hi, everyone. My name's Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and the host of Friend of a Friend, a show where we get to sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring conversations about building something from the ground up. Today, we're going to switch things up a little bit because I am so excited to introduce a new series. Every first Monday of the month, my best friend, the founder of the Ojo System, a Nike master trainer, co-founder of System of Service, and friend of a friend alumni, Joe Holder will be joining me to co-host the show. We'll be talking about everything from friendship to health and wellness, entrepreneurship, philanthropy, a behind-the-scenes look at how we're building our organization, System of Service, and even features some other inspiring voices we love as well. We'll also be taking some time to answer some of your questions, so stick around to the end of the episode for that. Here's my friend, Joe Holder. Welcome back to the show. I have a co-host today. It's very exciting. It is Joe Holder, who everybody apparently loves more than they love me. You guys have asked him to come on way more times than anybody else I've even brought up before. So I'm really excited about this. He's going to be coming on every first Monday of the month. We're going to do a co-hosted episode where we talk about, I interrogate him about everything, and we talk about life, and we talk about (laughs) everything that we're working on and things we want you guys to be paying attention to. So I'm super excited about this new series because I think it will bring everybody closer to us and the things that we're passionate about and also probably let you guys get to know us a little bit better. Where are you right now?
0: You know, exactly. right? I'm in a damn apartment. (laughs) He like really takes away,
1: he really takes away the like fun podcast. I'm like, where are you? How are you? What are you doing? Why don't you tell us (laughs) about your situation um, Joe has been living in my apartment in New since, York. since quarantine happened and it's been like the craziest, I feel like we swapped <laughs> lives, but we didn't really. But like every time I call you, you're in my apartment and I'm like, Joe, my plant's dying. My plant's dying.
0: Actually, I probably kept it alive.
1: It was definitely dead when you got there. We're going to use this episode to do a lot of things. So you're in my apartment, you're quarantined. What's quarantine life been like?
0: I mean, I guess it was weird at first. I mean, I've, I've really been here since March.
1: Literally, ma- it feels like a
0: different yeah. time. It's really crazy. I mean, quarantine has been fascinating because I've been dealing with a lot of things everybody else has been dealing with, but also things that are completely separate. So it's very bizarre. Like work got busier for me, which I'm lucky for, but I had planned on taking a very long break, but work got busier. Certain ideas came up and you know, I'm still trying to knock those out. Like inadvertently, I guess, started a business with exercise snacks. But then you have the real everything going on in the real world, which is tough at least a little bit to process. So there were certain things outside of your control. I was always very aware, I guess, of the world around me. It was always something that I wanted to change. As you know, Olivia, it's always something that I wanted to push forward on. I feel like it's just been hyper-accelerated with everything going on. But you also still have to realize that there are responsibilities and things that you need to take care of, which is making existence a little bit more tough just because you can't clearly see the future. Because I guess none of us can, but... Been interesting. I'm like tr- trying to take time to really take care of myself. You know, right now I'm on this little bit, and I think that's why I'm a little bit tired. I think I'm having a little bit of like a detox is the wrong word, but I think I'm having a little bit of like a spiritual and emotional kind of like reckoning because I'm kind of on this program right now where I'm I'm doing uh, basically tension relaxation meditation two times a day for 20 minutes, and then I'm just really trying to spend more time in nature. And honestly, this thing like mentally you know, emotionally, I'm trying to work through some things, and that's like physically manifesting itself. But I think it's important. It's an ebb and you flow and you know, being hit with a lot of images with all the different things that are going on, both domestically and internationally. So it's been interesting, but on a personal level, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay. But I guess looking at it from a systemic level, it's like, what is going on?
1: You've been open about feeling or about needing to be really intentional about how you're speaking and what you're putting putting out and how you're helping guide people through this time um especially during protests and a moment of civil unrest and a fight for racial justice like where is your head at today with that because i remember the day of the first protest we had spoken and you were like i want to make sure that what i say actually makes a difference and i'm not just adding to the noise and i really appreciated that because yeah. you've always been like one of the most intentional people i know so where's your head at now
0: yeah i mean it's got to connect with action because, yeah, you know, I was at one of the first couple protests where no one was at, and then it's crazy to see it all just start to spread out, and then it becomes a situation. Okay, like passive mass kind of reckoning of numbers. What else? What else can I do? And it becomes a situation where this is a thing that I do that if it allows me essentially to do research, but it's mentally very hard sometimes. Is that I I follow. On social media, everyone. So on both sides of the spectrum. So from center to super, super left to super right. And it's crazy to see sometimes the juxtaposition of different narratives with everything that's going on when they're talking about the same thing. it's wild. But I think it's important to see. It has me may have a different look about how to proceed forward because I know a lot of times we don't think we exist in echo chambers, but we do. Then when we are hit with information from the other side, some research suggests something interesting happens. It's not that it opens our view because we're so hard in it. It then solidifies where, what we believe in and making things worse. So what I've seen in, in both social media and in person are that people are living in essentially separate realities within the same reality. So we have these theories about whatever, parallel universes, multiverses, tether. Take a step back and realize like in the real world right now, there are just so many different parallel realities and nobody is looking to talk to each other so it's very disheartening to me to see that you know for every person that's saying racism exists there's another one that says it doesn't exist it's fake for every person that's going through quarantine fine there's somebody else struggling to get through but nobody for whatever reason if they exist on one side is looking to see kind of how things connect and how can we like essentially work together so for me I wanted to remove myself from like toxic individualism which I think is what you see with going on in the rest of the world. Americans somehow think that their view is the only view that matters. It doesn't. aren't even looking at how other people are dealing with the situations right now. So I guess in terms of being intentional, what it was that I decided was, okay, what it is that I know that I am good at and I also can control and hopefully make a difference. Because what a lot of other people do, they put energy everywhere, right? And there's so many important causes, whether it's the LGBTQIA plus community, I, you know, continuing with trans rights, racial rights, environmental rights, you look online, everybody's like, bing, 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 It's going crazy. So my thing was, hold on, wait a minute. This is a long fight. I can't do anything and have these things because I don't know about them. So I just took a step back and I really just thought about this concept that I had of uh, intergenerational health. So essentially a viewpoint. You really look at this concept of health being wealth. If that is the case, all right, you see there's a wealth gap in the U.S. Why is there a health gap? And I really wanted to dive in and understand because health is something I've been passionate about since I was a child. So I really want to understand why there are such health disparities and those different aspects of health, not just individual health, but also environmental health, mental health, access to general health care, nutrition, food deserts, things of that nature, accessibility to basically active lifestyle enablement. So those are four things that I'm essentially passionate about, and I'm going to really look forward in this whole kind of civil rights moment fight. So my thing, again, is like treating it like school. We had a lot of days in school where it's like, yo, I didn't do shit today. But somehow at the end of the semester, whether you got all C's or you got all A's, next thing you know, four years later, you graduate. You're like, yo, I really did a lot over time and learned some stuff. So that's how I'm really taking it. I have some up days. I have some down days, but I know what I'm working towards. I know what my life diploma, my life internship is in. And that's how I'm approaching how I can make a difference moving forward while also just continuing to learn and keeping my hair close to the streets.
1: You and I have talked about this before, and I'd love for you to break it down, but you just talked a lot about like this idea of like an internship of life, and I think you have yeah. a very specific viewpoint on that, and I'd love to hear, one, a little bit about it in terms of people finding their passion right now, but also how it's applied to intergenerational health. And don't worry, I'll get into asking you a gajillion questions about that. But I think you and I have always talked about that, especially in like the context of like system of service or like things that we're passionate about. What does that mean to you?
0: So the internship of life kind of concept is just essentially what's one, a few, one two, a few different projects that I could take on in terms of hopefully social good or bettering myself that will make a difference. Your internship doesn't have to be something that's like completely selfless. It could be a situation where it's like, yo, this is something I enjoy and it makes me better. It makes me feel good. And since I feel good, uh, maybe I'll give a little time and maybe volunteering or doing something or being just a better person, Right. So I'm not saying you got to internship with life also. is not saying you got to go out into the world and try to totally change the system. Because first, what is a system? We are all part of the system. We exist in it, no matter how individual we are, right? So if we are part of the system, that means our internship also encompasses working on ourselves. You change your system first and understand your system before then you try to go out and understand the system that you're placed in. And then you see how it just kind of interconnects and it all plays together. I can't do anything about the fact that if I have some privilege, right? But what I can do about it is understand how to use that privilege possibly to help other people with that thought process of the internship and intergenerational health became a thought of, look, I am black and I have a lot of issues, a lot of struggles. And I understand the systemic situations that may keep people like me down, but I am also very privileged in the sense that I'm a male, I'm Ivy league educated. My dad's a doctor. I grew up in a relatively affluent suburb in New Jersey. So the thing then becomes, all right, I need to find a way to then utilize my agency and also lack of agency to make a difference. So with intergenerational health, that's where it came from. I sat down and I was really thinking about this. And I said, "Okay, if I wanted to make a quick kind of, and this is an ongoing process, it's like my life thesis. So I said, okay, if I'm going to make a quick outline of what I believe I can make a difference in, if this is going to be one of my pilot projects for my internship in this life, what is it? And that's where intergenerational came from. It was just a thought process to look at the health bills that disproportionately affect black America, but also affect all of us in general. And if you can make a difference in Black America, because that is part of America, and that is of the world, you will make a greater difference for the betterment of society in general. And that's what we need to realize is that if you help one population within your within your country, that doesn't mean you're hindering the other. The issue has often been that we help one population in the country whether that is due to race or socioeconomic, the wealthy, is that that then hinders other populations when that shouldn't be the case. It should be a way where if you help one, you know, you help all. And we're unfortunately not seeing that. So I want to change that in any way I can.
1: So you posted something on Instagram about it, basically outlining your resources, outlining your research, outlining what you want to see change, where the issues are,
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to tell you straight up, it's a project. So a lot of people just jump right out and they're like, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and I'm going to do this. Look, man, I have i guess I could say this. I've started businesses. I've started ideas. You see how fast they morph, and you see how sometimes you had no idea what it is you were getting yourself into, and you had no idea what the real answer was. So with that being said, intergenerational health, again, the four things that I want to change are mental health and uh, access to care. When I say health care, I mean health care. And then uh, food deserts and food justice, environmental justice, and then active lifestyle enablement. So that's basically fitness. The easiest way to think about it. When you break it down, first off, it's like if anybody out there, because I know if anybody listens to this or doesn't, somebody say from whatever, a very far right-leaning publication wants to listen to this, why would this help everybody besides Blacks? Why do I got to target Blacks? Well, first off, Less than 3% of Americans lead a healthy lifestyle. So it's clearly a problem that all of us are dealing with, okay? Yeah. If that's the case, less than 3%. So let's throw that away. Additionally, we see due to basic needs not being met oftentimes in a Black community and excess stress, certain things will affect them more than others, especially when you couple that and it's inextricably linked with socioeconomic conditions. So environmental justice, we, we see, especially basically in a very capitalistic society that, that treats cor- corporations as having high higher agency than underserved populations. We see uh, low socioeconomic and black populations have a higher likelihood of having asthma, have a higher likelihood of being next to uh, toxic waste facilities, have a higher likelihood of just being impacted by poor air pollution. And we know, so there's something going on there, okay, within the black community that, you know, less access to parks and green spaces. We, we need that. right? So, Environmental care is a core component of also caring for yourself and the world. And then when you go into, you know, active lifestyle enablement, you know, kids, uh, kids aren't, there's a f- couple of different reasons for this, but with active lifestyle enablement, what becomes difficult is, especially with black women, is that they often don't have access to physical activity either because they don't feel comfortable or not quite really sure. But black women, you know, I want to say pretty sure this is correct. Say, but four in five black women may be uh, overweight to obese which is wow. higher than the national average, which is just crazy. And we know that activity, uh, both is important for weight management, not necessarily weight loss, but weight management. So we need to understand why that's happening. And also just for, you know, general mental health, things of that nature. And then moving on to mental health, active health and healthcare, is that there are intrinsic, systemic aspects of healthcare that unfortunately target the black community, whether explicitly, or subconsciously. When you look at COVID and what's happening uh, within the Black community, you see due to underlying health conditions such as diabetes, which, you know, Blacks are unfortunately have higher chronic conditions, but even taking that out, taking under underlying conditions, things of that nature, which they did in a recent study, they found that just simply Blackness, due to the way that the healthcare system was set up, increased risk factor for death, not because it was tied to just simply because of race, because of how doctors were treated, how much longer it would take for, say, to get a COVID test done so they have access How doctors-treated patients, excuse me. It wasn't just simply due to underlying conditions, it was simply the condition of being Black which is increasingly problematic. But we see with that in mental health, second leading cause of death in young blacks aged 18 to 25 or something of that nature. We see the rising issues that have to do with suicide in general in this country, but especially black America, mental health is often stigmatized. And this is a passion point to me as like a black man, black man has dealt with his own, you know, mental health issues. Like I want it to be okay that being vulnerable is all right. I want it not to be a tribal, weird, paternalistic, fake masculine thing when you think you can handle it on your own. Or as we see now, we have a president that's somehow turning mask into like this fake masculine thing. It's very bizarre. So really delving into into mental health is, is vital and important. And then I guess the food issues. I mean, everybody kind of just heard of food deserts, but like, let's really break it down. Like seven of the 10 poorest counties, and the nation are black and they have no supermarkets. You know, the predominant amount of black counties don't have supermarkets. So they got to get their food, typically dollar stores, which aren't going to have good food. It's the frozen shit. And then they have to get it from convenience stores, which would t- typically charge a premium on fresh produce and it won't even be that fresh or, or healthy foods. So we have to look at, and you know, there's a lot of interesting research on this, but especially just back in the day, when you look at Fannie Lou Hammer, when you look at you know, black farmers and the connection to farming as a, as a component of, so, of social justice and civil rights or the role food played in the civil rights movement, you know, regarding the black Panthers or the federal or the breakfast program is take all that out. And it's just like, really like, we, we can't remove race from this because that's how society has set it up. But like, take that all out. Are we really saying that anybody in this country should not have decent access to food that we can't figure out mental health or general health care that maybe we should be active and that, you know, just... And then the other one, just maybe that I should be able to go outside and, and not be sick because the air that I have to breathe. Like, if you really want to say you don't see race, then don't see race for a second. Just look at the stats. And then and then really say to yourself that in this country, it's okay for anybody to be afflicted with that. And, th- and we need to change it.
1: I mean, I even... Even just hearing you think about this, like, I think about what inspired you to take action with Dyson a couple months ago. And you told me the story of a young girl named Ella who lived in London. She was a young black child. She lived a couple miles outside of London, but she was the first person in the history of the world to have her cause of death on her death certificate be air pollution. She had severe asthma attacks, and she ended up dying because of the air quality around her. And like that just proves your point that that is happening, not just in the U.S., but around the world.
0: Yeah, air pollution, it's one of those weird things, but it's like how do you quantify how air pollution causes early death? That's why I work with the American Lung Association and other groups, and they have a better calibration of that, but it does happen. So I look at it like this. It is the kind of like I've luckily been able to go out to Dyson headquarters. they teamed up with the city of London to figure out better routes that kids could go to school. To reduce air pollution and increase the air quality that they're taking in, because it also does affect learning abilities of kids. And unfortunately, a lot of the times I've learned apparently cities don't like to have this data on a very granular level because it actually forced them to act and hold these businesses accountable wow. that aren't doing what they should be doing. But yeah, I mean, I, I like when Dyson approached me with a partnership. It was a situation where they're getting into wellness because they had circadian rhythm lights and as you know, you know, dealing with sleep. And of course, air, air purifiers. And the thing was, was I sat there and I thought about it. And I was like, yo, this, I was like, first off, your stuff is so expensive. Like, what are you doing to people who actually need clean air? Because
1: it's not even people that live in like, okay, yes, it's people that live in major cities, but it's not even people that live in like the wealthy communities of major cities that need it. It's people that live on the outskirts, like near airports. And like, especially in LA, like near the marina and like that whole area, like it's, that's where things are the worst. Like the marina in LA, like that's our biggest polluter. Or all the ships that are coming in. Yeah, I was doing a lot of research when, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was doing a lot of research when COVID happened because people were like, oh my God, air pollution in LA is down. And they're like, it's because all these people are like home and no one's driving. And it actually, a bunch of scientists came out and said that it was a very big misconception that that was happening. And it was kind of sad to see people just kind of like jump to that conclusion. But it actually wasn't because of that. It was because we had like a really big rainstorm in March that actually like cleared our air. Around the same time oh. that quarantine happened. And once the air was like filtered through, it didn't even matter that people weren't driving, like our pollution was back up again. Cause it all has to do with our shipyard and the amount of like people that are coming in and out of Marina cause LA to have the worst pollution.
0: Damn. And that's this, what's really gets to it. This raises a good point. That's why I want to do this because it's not like a fucking radio show. All right, it is a radio show. We can go on a rip. What people need to do instead of this copy and paste culture.
1: Oh, let's really get into that. No, it's what you just let's do it. It's like,
0: what is actually going on? Like, what is going on? Like, right. why did it actually occur? Let's, let's just, hop uh-huh. Even those pictures that everybody was sharing, like, oh, nature's returning. Half of them were fake.
1: Were fake. Like the dolphins in, in Venice <laughs> were fake. Like, I think yeah. that's my, I really appreciate you saying that. And I really appreciate what you were saying at the beginning of this, where you were like, I needed to take a moment because I think I think social media is the most incredible tool that we all have to stay connected to share information. But you know, when the protest started, I even came to you with this where I was like, you know, I'm really overwhelmed. Like, I have not taken a second to process how everybody's feeling. Like, there's a lot of research I actually want to take the time to do so I can educate myself with, like, the correct knowledge to, like, engage in these conversations because I was ignorant to it before. I do think that there's this, like, really important need that I want to stress for everybody that, like, no matter what it is, whether it's, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic and they're saying that like our world is healing itself or we're in the middle of protests, like take a beat, like take a minute research and like learn what it is. You actually want to discover from this and educate yourself to some extent before you like just jump and repost something because you want to be a part of the conversation. I don't mean, I hope that doesn't sound mean, but that's just like my big, one of my biggest takeaways from the past month has been like really take the time to like just research on your own before just spitting out information
0: yeah i mean critical thinking is important and when you say research on your own that also means going to like primary sources before you go to any sort of media source and this isn't saying fake news it's just that you need to understand the context of the longitudinal context of where it goes because you have news to an extent has become entertaining but long story of right. being short like take the time to to, from a more of a longitudinal understanding to know what it is that you might feel passionate about. So it's okay to be curious about everything, but in terms of being like passionate and purposeful, I would say pick a few things that you can really dive into so that you have a better understanding and hopefully make real change in, in, uh, in your community.
1: Yeah. I like that. Underline, underline, but on the note of COVID, we're in the midst of a crazy surge. Joe and I were supposed to be in the same city right now which would have been so awesome but there's now the quarantine situation for New York so if you come into New York you have to quarantine for 14 days but um, as a as our resident health and wellness professional <laughs> how are you how are you feeling about that
0: um it's a mix it's an interesting mix of things uh, Wall Street Journal just released everybody's been following the Hong Kong situation how they dealt with it Wall Street Journal just released a good piece. Um, there's been a debate over Sweden and how they handle it within the Nordic countries. But with the whole COVID thing, what I find so interesting are the conspiracy theories around it. which you don't have to fully get into. But well, my thing is, with conspiracy theories, you talk about what you can control. When something seems so outside of your control, you then want to do anything that's anti to feel like you're getting control back. Right. So whether it has to do with
1: what's your like favorite the rest one? Of the
0: world, uh, the, my favorite one is probably the 5G one, um, because it's just like if you really wanted to institute 5G, like you, you didn't need to do this. Right. So it's like for some reason. It, but my favorite one, honestly, is a bioweapon thing because that's actually been like it escaping a lab has actually been like hotly debated in the academic world, and they. Right like literally put papers out on it because they thought like maybe it was just an accident not even I mean was that's like the one notorious. I logically
1: lean towards the most to be honest <laughs> were like for like, being oh, honest shit.
0: I'm like oh you know <laughs> that sounds like, uh. eh.
1: like it's mixy but I don't up. know
0: it <laughs> 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 was like yo somebody might have just messed up but I don't you know I'm not pandering in that but what I think is crazy bad is that if you do fall or believe any of these conspiracy theories wouldn't you just be, especially the forced vaccinations, wouldn't you just be paranoid and do the little low-hanging fruits things that will make sure that you don't have to either get a forced vaccination or the economy can open up quicker, which is simply just wearing a mask. And all the people who don't want forced vaccinations don't want to wear a mask because now it's become a tribal thing when actually it's just like what happened was at the beginning of this outbreak, we had a shortage of masks. So they said they said not to wear masks because they were afraid of hoarding of the mask. When it was a marketing, it was just a marketing plan going wrong, essentially. But with the current situation, it's just that I wish it goes back to toxic individualism. The rest of the like America and all the people who are showing up angry at these conferences, it's it's crazy. It's simply because it's simply because it's like I don't wherever you stand is where you stand, but it's simply crazy because. All you have to do is look at what, what the other, how the rest of the world is dealing with it, right? So it's not that for some reason it's just America. It's the whole world. And the whole world has done some basic things to be better. And one of those is like just being polite, proper hygiene, and wearing a mask, which could help with, with everything besides shutting it down completely. So everybody on these other conspiracy theories, the, if you are a conspiracy theorist and the government first said not to wear a mask, why don't you say I should wear a mask? But now that they're telling you to wear a mask, you don't want to wear a mask? Oh my God, this is crazy. I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. I also, I think the other thing is, is like taking care of yourself. Like the other theory going around, essentially, there's, there's, it's not a theory, but there's other ways to basically take care of your immune system, hopefully, I've written about it a little bit for GQ. And, and there seems to be a concept of like also metabolic dysfunction that may add to the to the risk if you get COVID or your ability to get it. So not story short, it's also take care of yourself.
1: If you haven't read Joe's GQ column, please go on GQ and check it out. He writes about everything from immunity, covers exercise, snacks, tons of really, really good things that are super helpful during this time. Continue.
0: No, that's really all I had to say is just like you, I don't know, plan for the unknown also by taking care of yourself. Like get your savings up, don't spend as much as you need to eat better, meditate, like take care of your own institution of self first.
1: As a born and raised Cali girl, I'm always on the hunt for beauty products that help protect my skin against the damages of the sun. I recently discovered Epilogic, a skincare line founded by Brooklyn-based oculofacial plastic surgeon, Dr. Shaneev Giannatin. Dr. Janatin's approach is based on the belief that beauty, above all, is not just about looking, but feeling your best. She focuses on working with clients to rejuvenate and refine their appearance, while staying true to their natural character. To complement her practice, Dr. Janatin set out to develop a line inspired by the beauty needs of her patients. What has emerged is a selection of active ingredient-focused products for all skin types. Essentials that are free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and petroleum and all work collectively to nourish and exfoliate on a cellular level. Her hero product is The Master Plan, a blend of over 300 high-quality human stem cell-derived growth factors and active proteins, typically found in abundance in young skin. By nurturing the natural processes of cell turnover and repair, the skin is restored to its optimal health, delivering firm, even-toned, luminous-looking skin. Think baby skin, but in a bottle. Another one of her hero products is her eye contact, an all-in-one solution to address elasticity, texture, and pigment concerns around the eyes with a combination of bioactives, antioxidants, peptides, and vitamin A that leave the eyes bright. Leave it to an oculofacial plastic surgeon to create the next wave in eye skin care. Epilogic believes skin science is the most logical way to invest in your skin care, and now you can get 10% off both products if you use Friend10 at checkout. Head to www.BrooklynFaceAndEye.com to check out their full product line. And when you check out, type in F-R-I-E-N-D-10 at checkout to get 10% off. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson. And this is Work Party, a podcast for working women that support each other's successes. In each episode, we bring in leading female powerhouses for career real talk and BS-free advice. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. You've been talking a lot about how one thing you said to me during Right in the middle of the protests is like we were talking, I could tell you were super frustrated. You didn't really know where to turn in terms of like what you could be doing that was most helpful. And you sent something back to me where you were like, I just want to use myself and my relationships with these big brands to encourage them to make a difference.
0: Whether for better or for worse, I get called out all the time with some of my brand relationships. But I'm like, yo, I have the ability to create change. But you know, it's nothing worse than lack of diversity is diversity that is just surface level and does nothing to change anything at the root cause of the problem. That's just optic diversity. So at the end of the day, if I could be somebody that, whatever, I'll, I'll be your diversity champion. But also I'd be like, yo, we have real work to do because I don't care, in my opinion. I don't care if you have somebody that looks like me in an ad or a lookbook. I want to know what are you doing on your infrastructure-wise to help create change. But that's where I stand. I don't want to get involved in identity politics. I want to get involved in the actual minutiae of the granular politics to create change.
1: I want to shift gears a little bit, if you're okay with that. You just did a Instagram live with Rita Walker, who's a mental health... She's
0: a, yeah, she's she's a, a doctor. doctor. She's a clinical psychologist. Yeah, she's a yeah.
1: yeah, on mental health, specifically in the Black community. And you've always been really open about your mental health with me. Lucky me. <laughs> But you also said something that like has not left my brain. And you said it on the last podcast that we did together on this show. If you guys haven't listened to it, Joe says some amazing things. We talk about his entire career on there. So go check out that episode. But you said something about a, a moment that you had had with a couple of friends. You had gone to dinner and you were in, I think, in the car on the way somewhere. And you were joined by four of your other friends who were all Black men as well. And you began to talk about mental health. And you had walked away from that situation feeling... Like, I think you had felt surprised or you had felt some definitely like, like that moment wasn't normal. Like four black men sitting in a room talking about their mental health was (laughs) never something that you had really experienced before. And that stuck with me a lot. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your mental health journey as a black man, the conversation that you had with Rita Walker and some feedback that you had from it. I watched it. It was amazing. It's on GQ's IG Live if you want to catch it. And just hearing a little bit about your experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a deep, deep question. I mean, from a longitudinal perspective, I've often looked back on my childhood and and thought about why I can't remember certain things or why I think people have a better remembrance in childhood than me. And I realized as I'm doing a little bit of research, I think that's because I was so anxious. So to an extent, it's like, sometimes you just miss, you just blot out portions because of certain issues. In my case, I think it was anxiety or I just like, got to take a little bit more time to like look deeper within my look back at being a high achieving kid um, that I was always so anxious. And I find it very interesting because as I've gotten older, I've realized my stress levels and anxiety levels connect to the pain level I have in my body. And I've been doing more research and I basically like a lot of times I'm like, Oh, I have to, this hurts. I have to rehab this. I got to do this. I got to do that. But it's really, especially with the concept of pain, chronic pain, it has to do a lot with the mental state. So, I'm able to relieve a lot of my pain just simply by getting more in tune with myself and, and of course, my mental health. So, it's been very important, that I, especially for other black men, that I want them to, and people in general, like, you got to get in tune with what's going on in your head. Like, there's so many different ways you get pulled away from it. You know, of course, you quote unquote may get a diagnosis, but that doesn't mean that changes who you are just because you've been defined in a different way. Just use that definition basically if you are clinically diagnosed within a framework that you would hopefully then make some change. It's just a base level like classification. My personal journey has really just been me accepting first off that like maybe something wasn't okay, that I had to deal with a lot in college that put me in some weird situation. And that even moving forward, it's just that I have to continuously work through my feelings, especially as somebody that has a lot of responsibilities because it's the same way I look at How sleep was looked at a few years ago is how mental health is going to be looked at. Sleep used to be looked at something for a week. It used to be, you don't need sleep, alpha male, never sleeps, grind season. When you realize that sleep was one of the things that separated high achievers. So what do we look at? What's one of the clinical studies that we look at high achievers that's slightly flawed? But the 10,000 hour study that everybody hyped on, that was like, you got to put in a lot of time to do your work, right? It's not what they found was when you dug in deeper into the study, it was, of course, is the one Gladwell made famous. But it's, the, it's not just the amount of hours you do doing your work. You know what also differentiated the good from being great? Sleep. Naps. They took more sleep than people who studied more because they could concentrate more than when they did it, and they had a higher rate of napping in the afternoon. So that's what I look at it now, is that everybody's understanding the importance of sleep. It's what's happening with mental health. And look, looking at that is that, Everybody thought like having mental health help is a sign of weakness, or something mentally wrong with you is a sign of weakness. When no, hold up, that may be part of your greatness, and then just taking care of that will push you to the next level, and you don't have to do it all on your own. No, it's just accepting that as I've gotten older, is that you need a team, and the better people you could have on that team to make a better you, the easier life gets.
1: Rita said something on there that like. Really shook my mind. She was like, imagine going through life never addressing the thoughts in your brain. She was like, that's what it means to not take care of your mental health.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And those thoughts aren't necessarily even real. If you ignore them, the ramifications of ignoring them may be real.
1: Is there something specifically that's helped you in your mental health journey? Because I know you had talked about potentially getting a therapist in the future, but is there, I know you meditate a lot. Is there a certain connectivity practice that you've used in the past that's helped you? Or even a resource.
0: I think a connectivity practice that's really overlooked is like wake up, and when you're still laying in bed, like just take some breaths and understand how you feel. Right, like that's the body you have to inhabit that day. Like, can you feel your feet? Can you feel your legs? Can you feel your hand? And then when you touch the ground, and then say a couple of things you're grateful for. Then when your feet touch the ground, just like. That's your connection then again with the world. So connect with yourself again for a second. Like Just have an intention to start the day. And this one is really weird. Next one, a little bit. I think it's important, especially if you have slight esteem issues, which I think we all have. But every morning, everybody goes into the bathroom. But how often do you just, just look at yourself and fully accept yourself in the mirror for that day? And it's just fully like I don't care if you have fucking slobber on the side of your face, if you got eye crust, if you look tired, if you look raggedy, whatever. You look great. Your hair's a mess. You can all change that appearance, right? But if you can't like fully connect with that person who you are in that mirror and just accept, just accept yourself for a second. Just you probably. I don't. You're gonna deal with a lot today. You probably dealt with a lot yesterday. But it's like just accept that this is you and you will find a way to work through that and you will take the help necessary. So that's a very easy kind of connectivity practice. And sometimes I just look at my hands and I'm like, this is the body that you have to deal with the things that you think you can't. But in the past, it's overcome so many other things that you thought were impossible.
1: You posted something the other day that really caught my attention that talked about racial equality being solved through economic democracy. And I wonder how going back to even intergenerational health, what your thoughts are on the future or just even moving forward, even the immediate future of the health and wellness industry and how you want to bring that, how you want to bring wellness to everybody, especially through what we're talking about with intergenerational health.
0: The economic question is very hard. I mean, I think that gets into like a concept of also reparations, which is difficult. In terms of health and wellness, basically, I think you plug into existing infrastructures that already reach people and try to give things for free that don't have to be paid for by the individual. There's no time, it's all because of economic models that have to do with GDP instead of understanding a population's wellness also as GDP that you get caught up in this. There's no reason why these exercise classes had to be so expensive. There's no reason for that. There's no reason why gym memberships had to be so expensive. In some places, they're not, but. And you get inequality, and people just don't feel comfortable. The thing becomes if you want to, I think, democratize the industry. Is interesting things that are being done. You see, like the fifteen percent pledge. So for that, they're giving shelf space uh, within key retailers to, to black-owned businesses because you can't ignore the you know median and, and and average wealth gap in the in this country and how that's connected to outcomes in terms of like health, which we equate with wealth as well. Is that I think you have to work with companies to be able to give it to for free, but then work with community leaders within the distinct communities and make people care. So it's a multifaceted approach. So the thing is, is like Nike has in, it ha- to my knowledge, has helped in New York City revamp so many of these community centers and parks and rec. But what would make me care about as somebody who lives in those communities to go? So it's a, t- it's a top-down, bottom-up approach. It's that I think you need companies, corporations, et cetera, to basically subsidize. I think, they're faster moving governments. I think that we push, put the pressure on the real government, of course, to help us, but say to ourselves, we can't wait. So we got to keep moving. And then you have now companies and corporations that want to get behind these causes uh, to be able to push forward. So you have to give things for free, but also make people care about it. That's what I have the unique ability to do, I think, is make people care. To me, it's never been, a, I never thought it'd be a big situation to me as a black man, man to be working out or talking about mental health, but I've had people come up to me and I've had messages that they're like, Oh, I've never seen somebody that looks like me talk about this. Like I feel so much more comfortable. So in terms of what we need to do to fix the industry, we need to look at the greater world in itself instead of it simply being instead of it simply being like the world in which we we exist because it's a lot less that needs to be done. And I think a lot of it starts with making people care. And if we can do that, because there are a lot of people on the ground who already want to make people care. So companies only not need them, people, other people who are now getting into this conversation, whether that be white liberals or, or black progressives who typically have not been involved on the streets. It's not saying I have the answer. It's saying I have an idea and I possibly have the access. Now, let me get on the street level and understand the viewpoints of who is actually dealing with these problems on the day to day. I'm not dealing with the problem of obesity on the day-to-day, but I know the industry is. I'm not dealing with the problem of lack of access on the day-to-day, but I know the industry is. So my cause is not to say, I have the answer. My cause is to say, I have an idea. Let's try to find out the answer together. And I think if we all did that, that would make for a more equitable industry.
1: So let's talk about SOS a little bit. Speaking of organizations, it's been such an interesting time considering the last event that we did was like right before COVID ended. It was like such an incredible event for us because I think it it had to be the event with the biggest turnout for us. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. We did an event in LA with Dyson. Joe hosted two runs all around LA. I obviously did not run, (laughs) but... (laughs) It was really incredible to see how many people turned up to support. It was in partnership with Dyson and our Breathe Free Initiative, where we are essentially encouraging people to take action and investigate their own air quality in their own cities and see what they can do to make a difference. And it's just been really incredible to like be in different cities, see, one, meet a bunch of runners who do something I could never even imagine doing, but also talk about air quality in different cities around the world and hear what actually will make a difference and hear how people hear different experiences of the way that people are breathing in their cities. So shout out to Dyson for helping us with that. I am really sad that COVID's happening right now. and We probably won't be able to run together in a while. But Joe and I are thinking of some ideas of how to bring it digitally. And us doing this podcast is one of them, where we can hopefully facilitate conversations online about what we're doing and hear from you guys digitally.
0: Yeah, I think a little bit of a symbolism to this time. As you know, everything that's been going on, I just long before george floyd but it's like we all have something heavier on our chest like it's just hard to breathe and that shouldn't be exacerbated one by the climate in which we're living in like the little air quality and then there should be the ability to engage in of course activities that make it easier for us to breathe such as running for cardiovascular health but all the other things around that getting involved in your community and we all know what it feels like to you know you feel a little bit better breathwise after you talk to a friend. That's the whole concept of a little bit, I would imagine friend of a friend. It's just like a good conversation that leaves you feeling a little bit lighter. Those are the best ones. But can we give that feeling essentially to everybody? So let me think it's a good idea to, you know, work with Dyson to do that.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. The com- I think the community aspect of system of service has always been the most paramount to both of us. Not that we don't. This kind of goes back to the echo chamber idea, but like it was not just To us, it's not just about the donation and the, like, passive involvement in things. It's like, how can you actually get involved on the ground to help your community, help your area be better, do better, and live better? So yeah, we are thinking through creating a digital oasis, as Joe likes to call it, um, for Breathe Free Online. It would be like an offshoot of the Dyson website and the System of Service website. We want it to be a place where you can also, like, breathe free online, um, especially during these probably mentally and physically strenuous times. We're ideating on that. If there's something you guys want to see or whether it's digitally or physically in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. The comment section of our podcast page is always open for thoughts, questions, feedback on SOS and this partnership that Joe and I are doing via the podcast. So you can submit questions for the Q&A. You can send us feedback for system of service all through there and we will be aggregating them. What, where Where is your mind at with SOS for the rest of the year? How do you feel?
0: I think there's a good idea that Liv and I have talked about that I think will still help it to live in a, in a digital space. I mean, essentially what you're working on is just, I think people are very overwhelmed. You're hit with so much information and in the same way. It's just like, what I, Rita talked, Dr. Walker talked about this in the mental health. It's like, all right, what is it that I, can I do today? So our thought process is, you know, setting up basically a chain of command that allows you to understand, okay, what is it that I can do today to make a difference? Whether that be with a distinct cause, whether that be with a distinct theme, can we just create a little bit of a bridge? And that, or, or that's just getting more educated and informed. Can we create basically just a consistent through line of, that explains to you how much easier it is to get involved in your world than you think? So that's what activism, it's redefining activism. Activism is not, you know, being in the streets, marching all the time. Activism is simply, in my opinion, being an active participant in your world that allows you to work that with the purpose of hopefully working towards a greater good in some capacity or extent. That's what activism is. So we want to continue to redefine that within a service-oriented standpoint. And we will, and it will be fun.
1: Are you going to ever check my email that I sent to you about this?
0: I didn't know you sent I didn't even know you sent it. <laughs> I'm keeping this in. I'm not editing this
1: out. I'm not editing this out. I sent you a whole Google Doc of action items that we can build out.
0: Story of my life.
1: Straight up. Story of our lives. (laughs) Okay. Let's jump into the Q&A. You guys submitted some crazy questions. Again, if you guys have more questions, please submit them. Let's start. First one. How has COVID brought your existing values to greater life for you and others? Joe, and I will speak, I will happily speak on Joe's behalf for this because he's realized it too. But I think Joe and I are the type of people that are always on the go. And I think the fear of not being on the go for us was really real. The fear of not being part of things, the fear of just constantly being busy and taking every job we can and working really hard was tied really closely to our identities. And I think COVID for me... Let me take a minute to stop and pause and appreciate what stability does for your mind, for your health, and for your creativity. You know, I always knew that, you know, settling, quote unquote, settling down, whatever you want to call it, and just having a little bit of a calmer lifestyle was something I wanted down the line. But I have really grown to appreciate it during this time in terms of, you know, being with my family more, being with my loved ones more, being with my boyfriend more being in tune with my friends in a different way than just seeing them, having to, you know, call them and talk on the phone for an hour and connect that way. I think all of those things, including connecting with myself and like not being on a plane every five seconds and not being on the go and like being able to sit in a place and like wake up and make coffee in the same cup every morning and like sit at the same desk and do work every day. Like those are all things I haven't been familiar with. And like, those are all values that I really appreciated earlier. But like now I really, really, they hold so much more importance to me now than they did before in terms of just my own personal growth, understanding the idea of like me time a little bit more. So that I think to me, and like, you know, actually like being present for the people in my life and not just like constantly being on the go. There's been so much sadness that's come out, but that's been something that I think has been really beautiful for me to experience.
0: That's a good answer. Thank you. I mean, uh, I guess for me, it's just a situation of, I mean, I had a birthday right as this hit, so I think it was also like a weird resetting of the world that coincided with a milestone birthday of my own. It became a situation uh, where it was just like I had to, I had to put up or shut up. I think a lot of people are good talkers, but not many are good builders, and then very few are good doers. Um, so my thing was was that if this, if the world was slightly changing, and it would be a not necessarily easier, but it'd be a more optimum time to put some things that I believe to be important into practice. And I had to do it, whether that's not just with myself, but also with the projects that I'm working on. And that's really what it was. It's like my value system had to become more real. If I believed working out in fitness and taking care of yourself was important, I just can't talk about it. Let me try to build something to help other people do the same thing. Let me try to build something that works towards social justice.
1: What are you reading right now?
0: I'm reading Bearing the Cross by David Garrow. It's about MLK and the Civil Rights Movement. I'm reading The Fine Arts of Concentration, Relaxation, and Meditation. I'm reading Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg.
1: Dude, how many books are you reading? Yeah,
0: well, I read them like textbooks. I read like a chapter of 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 a few every day, and then I read, and then I'm reading Essentialism by McKinnon. I want to say very good, especially the first half. And then I'm just trying to read stuff online. I'm reading, listening to the audiobook of selected essays and speeches of Marcus Garvey. And then I just got a whole bunch of open tabs and I'm trying to figure out.
1: I am reading a book that I just started. It's very dense. It's called Working, it's by Stud Strakel. Every chapter is an interview with someone in the workplace from a prostitute to an electrician to an accountant. It's literally 500. Awesome different pages of interviews of people who live different lives and come from all different backgrounds. And it's, it's really cool.
0: That's cool. I I, I would love to understand that concept of working. Cause that's what I've fucked up with or messes me up is like the way that I work is so different. And I'm like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Like who else? I don't know. It's weird. Like some people are just always like, I don't know I have to break up my day otherwise <laughs> I can't do it, like w- it always, I'm always thinking but I'm not always working
1: I, I am always working and I think that there is a <laughs> I think you and I need a little bit of each other I need you were talking about this I feel like last week like the ability to take time and think is so important like yeah
0: like I'm like sitting in a garden and thinking or something
1: yeah, oh my god, I'm also reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle right now, which like I've talked about for weeks. It's taken me some time to get through because it's just so beautiful. I don't want to like speed through it. But there's one part in there where her daughter comes to her. She was in the shower and she was having all these incredible ideas and she was like, "Mom, like why can I hear my thoughts in the shower? Like why am I having all these these ideas?" And she was like, "Yeah, dude, like that's what happens when you take a shower. Like you're not distracted by anything. Like that's called thinking." She was like, it's like Google, but your own brain and you can do it on your own and you don't need to do all these other things. She was like, good for you. Go take a shower. I've always like been like, you know how everybody always has this like one idea their whole life that they're like, one day I'm going to make that and be a millionaire. Mine is like a in shower whiteboard. That's (laughs) waterproof because all my best ideas happen in the shower.
0: Well, the key, if you do, do want to, the key is to have a tape recorder in the bathroom.
1: Level up. What's one thing that you want to see changed when we come out of quarantine?
0: I want there to be more gathering spots where people can honestly talk about information and communicate with each other. I would like to see... Basically, what I've said is happening right now is that everyone... I remember when, every, when there was a the big app rush where everybody was creating apps for the phone. What we're seeing now is everybody's going the other way. They're creating apps for the real world. They're improving iOS and hardware. That is our natural existence before we're trying to improve the technology we've been given. Because the best technology that we have, in my opinion, is the world. So post-quarantine, I would love to see a re into the world where we actually communicate with each other and try to figure things out. Build apps for the real world, I say, before we try to just strictly do things online. Because online, yes, it can, of course, galvanize change in the real world, but it doesn't happen as fast. It doesn't happen as fast. And we see that and we get angry. but. That's just the way it is. Like at the time of this, Brianna Taylor's, uh, the cops still haven't been arrested. Maybe one's been fired, but they still haven't been arrested. So you see the difference between online and offline stuff. So it's like, can we change the system? Can we change the phone, the iOS, the whatever, Android, that is Earth, before we, sh- we sh- go so deep into the immersion of the digital world? Like leave that for the tech bros. Like oh, they're all enough trying to figure that out. Let's change our world.
1: I like that. What do you think the future of movement and exercise looks like with the increased importance of meditation and mind-body connection in all practices?
0: Wow. Good question. Who asked that? You should get their usernames.
1: I obviously that have them like, screenshotted.
0: Great question. At Insert username here.
1: Okay. I'll do that for next time.
0: I think it becomes incorporated into some of the practices which we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, I think movement, you know, I say what's movement for the body is like stillness for the mind. Like they're both very important. And then once you do both, you can kind of connect with the other, like your mind has a body of its own, and your body has a mind of its own to an extent. So I think we've been caught up in a frenetic culture that doesn't take into account the importance of stillness. So that when you move, you can act very deliberately or even such as, you know, reducing the chance of injury when you get, start to get a little bit more active so i think there'll be symbiotic practices that will be more incorporated into into the flow for lack of a better term of exercise so you will start to see that in you know in high intensity classes at the beginning of the end you'll start to see high intensity moments you know that's what pyrotings is with k god and i guess
1: shout out k god check out her episode
0: she was just on the show so it'll be (laughs) it'll, it'll be uh combined hopefully more efficiently.
1: Okay, one more. How has your range of obtuse goal attainment grown during a period of heavier restriction?
0: Ah. Ah. As weird as it sounds, I would say never waste a good crisis. When there are moments of upheaval, you then, what's often unearthed is that are the things that people want, but they didn't know that they wanted. And it allows you quicker to assimilate that thought process into attaining your goal. So whether that be you know me quickening my ability to write about certain issues that I deem that are important to see how people respond, or the easiest example is exercise snacks. I don't think before this people would have responded in the same way, but they realize that you totally. know your body's you know your body's the most important piece of equipment. Workouts don't need to be crazy long. You can do it in your house. You can do it without judgment. You can keep it moving, that type of thing. So. Uh, Optus goal attainment is also changed by the climate in which you yourself exist or your product or idea can be inserted into. So it is take a step back, study the, study the environment, and act or shift as need be in response to it.
1: Explain carb cycling and timing of nutrient intake for best results.
0: That's a real good one. Real quick, carb cycling is basically inter... Interspersing high carb days and low carb days contingent upon either heating cycle or your activity levels. Uh, what if you have all short, carb days? <laughs> it, <laughs> there's nothing inherently bad about carbohydrates. Just think of them as high octane fuel. Have, I would say, the best case scenario is to have four or five low to medium carb days, and then a couple higher carb days that you time with your activity, either due to duration of activity or intensity of activity. This also connects back to nutrient timing, and that's really day-to-day stuff. So, nutrient timing—the easiest way to get in shape is exercise before breakfast, very quickly, whether that's a light stretch or jump rope. And then always make sure to move or exercise after dinner before you go completely still. If that—even if that's a light run or a, just a walk around the block—so basically, with nutrient timing, and this also has to go with blood sugar control. With nutrient timing, you. You time your nutrients during the day, also according to how active you might be. Shorten that down a little bit, you have more ability to process carbohydrates efficiently earlier in the day than later. And then it's also okay to have a little bit of carbohydrates later in the day because for some people that might help them sleep, but just not enough, just not a lot. And then time your exercise with that accordingly, because if you have activity coupled with food, it'll make your processing, essentially the food, more efficient. So basically, your blood sugar will stay a little bit stable and be able to drive the nutrients into the cell because you are actively engaged in an activity that will make the body think, okay, all right, it's time for me to go. There must be something going on. Let me mobilize this fuel and then you can chill. But yeah, carb cycling and nutrient timing, in my opinion, are two of the simplest they're you know, simple relatively to understand as you take the time to understand. Uh, and uh, yeah, nutrient timing, is two of the easiest things you can do for your health.
1: It's like almost mislabeled. It's like, it's not even about the carb cycling. It's like, what's the best, what, one of the best times to work out for your base? Yeah, I guess based on eating. Okay, never mind. I don't know why I'm trying to yeah. fight the scientists, but like, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, carb
0: cycling you is know what I mean? It. Like, it like some days you need some more, other days you need to work let me get my body used to be able to process different types of food efficiently. Keep it moving. It's a, like a light stress that you put your body through, essentially, to right. make it more adapt.
1: Right. Okay. For real. Last question. You guys asked a lot of good ones. When are the <laughs> plant-based putties coming back?
0: Late August, early September.
1: Woohoo! You should see All the like the smile that he's like like the side <laughs> smile. He's like, oh, guys, leave me alone. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to episode one of Joe and I's cute little co-hosted show. We'll be doing this the first Monday of every month. So make sure to DM us your questions or comment them in the podcast page. You can always DM Joe and I if you have any other follow-ups from this episode. Thank you for listening.
0: Okay, appreciate y'all. Bye.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.